0: To bring back your catchphrase from several episodes ago, let's go already. Why did this not happen sooner? It's been two years since this show has been on TV, and now there are only two episodes left. So this is just leaving me feeling a little bit concerned about the finale. I just don't know, man. On to Alderaan. I'm Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish Good Lux. Hello, podcast. Hello, Joey. Hello, and we're the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture stuff, but it's mostly Star Wars. And this episode, we'll be discussing The Mandalorian, chapter 22 guns for hire. Pew, pew. <laughs> but first, we would really love to hear what you all thought of this episode. So let us know. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, consider subscribing to us on YouTube. Let us know what you thought in the comments. You can also find us on any social media. Just search Krypton 2 Alderon. Thank you. We'd really appreciate the support. That would be great. Also, if you enjoy the show, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts That would also be amazing. Okay, that's enough of the housekeeping. Let's talk about guns. Pew, pew! For Hire. Okay, synopsis is as bland as any of the dialogue in this episode. Oh. <laughs> uh. The Mandalorian visits an opulent world. Was that really it? That's it. That's really it. Royce, I think there's something important to say up front. Every Star Wars is somebody's Star Wars, right? Part of loving Star Wars is not dependent on me loving all of Star Wars, me loving everything. I don't have to like everything in order to love the whole. The sequel trilogy is not my favorite thing, but hearing what other people think and insight into those perspectives makes me appreciate it more. And there's definitely a balance between being receptive to new things And keeping hold of what made this special to us in the first place, right? Like we've talked about on here before. Star Wars is very special and it's very special to different people for different reasons. And that's great. So we need to hold on to that while also trying to keep an open mind about where it's going and the future of the property. And I'm saying this mainly to myself. It's kind of like a mantra that I've had to adopt here recently. And it's important to keep in mind when we're not enjoying something as much as we want to. And that is really what it comes down to. That's really what I'm trying to do. I really want to enjoy this show, and I'm not enjoying it as much as I want to. I'm not going into each episode with expectations, expecting to see something or being like, oh, I bet we're going to see Thrawn this episode, or oh, they should go to Hosnian Prime. You know, I'm just sitting down to watch the show. I am a canonophile. Obviously, I love canon. I consume it all. I read all the books. I do all the things. But I really try hard not to let that be a burden on me watching the thing. That being said, I try to sit down and watch it as objectively as possible, which is not always easy, but it's a goal, and then just absorb it as it comes. But I'm still not enjoying it as much as I want to.
1: And you've seen it multiple times, right? It's not like your gut reaction. We watched it twice before coming to talk about it on the pod today, right? Right. And I don't know if I'll watch it again. (laughs) Well, that's fair. You know, I always make the comparison to like music because that's my native language. If it's an album, sometimes you got to listen to it twice and you're not going to like every song on it. And this is an eight episode season. It's an eight song album. You know, there's some banger choruses in there. There's some awesome solos. There's some awesome bridges. And maybe as a whole, it's not what you're expecting. I feel like I'm making that comparison a cliche if I've used that too many times on this podcast or my own show, my own Patreon or whatever. But them's the the breaks, you know, that's the way the cookie is crumbling. Yeah, I I agree with you that it doesn't really feel quite like, quote unquote, my Star Wars. But I recognize that there's different Star Wars out there. This sort of feels like this last episode in Attack of the Clones kind of thing. It looked great. There was a lot of adventure and there was some new world building stuff, but not at all what most people were expecting. And we know that we have to curtail our expectations. There's no Thrawn there. I mean, Moff Gideon was in the preview this week and last week, but not in any of the episodes. So if you're expecting him to show up and, you know, bust through the doors and curtail those expectations, we got what we got. It can be a tough pill to swallow sometimes. And we're going to do our best to find some light in this episode. But I'm right there with you. I think you said last week, you know, I want to enjoy the show. You said it again today. I want to enjoy it. You just have to work a little bit harder than if it was just like already perfect out of the gate. You've got to find in it what you can enjoy and be along for the ride. If the whole album isn't perfect, that's fine. But like, you know, find the song on there that you like, the melody on there that you like, and look forward to the next one. We're not writing off Star Wars as much as we want to complain about it. I'm still gonna watch next week. There's only a handful of shows I've ever given up on. You know, that's kind of a more interesting way to think about this is like, what would really make you give up on Star Wars or on The Mandalorian?
0: Yeah, that's not what we're saying here at all. I don't, you know, I don't even want to think that there is a thing. Like I said, I want to, I yearn to enjoy this. I really want to enjoy it. Part of that's the thing. I have an expectation for quality. I have an expectation for quality somewhat, not necessarily for content. And yeah, maybe sometimes we do have to work a little bit harder. Maybe that's part of our responsibility as consumers and creators from specifically you're in my seat. What I also like doing is picking out the stuff I enjoyed. And there is some stuff I enjoyed about this episode. I feel like we're like, Kind of skimming around the bush here of being like, well, we didn't like this and we're sorry, listeners, but here's why. We're having the conversation (laughs) about the conversation rather
1: than actually getting into it. Yeah, we're beating around the bush. So let's let's talk about some stuff we liked specifically and some stuff we didn't specifically like. I I don't feel bad about giving this disclaimer because if you're gonna talk about someone's art, do it with respect. And so we've already tried to do our best. And we'll we'll be thoughtful with our critiques going forward. Hopefully everyone is on the same page. And let's get into it for real now. (laughs)
0: Yes. Starting out, we have the Quarren ship and the Empire ship that is being piloted by the Mandalorians. What did you think? What was good about this (laughs) part of the episode? I mean, we got cool ships,
1: I guess. If you want to look for some really easy, you know, okay. You know, you get the Star Destroyer kind of zooming in, very similar to A New Hope, some poetry there. Cool that, like, the Mandalorians, they've commandeered an Imperial ship. We haven't really seen that in live-action Star Wars. That's super cool. I mean, I guess we've seen them in, like, the Tidarian shuttle in Return of the Jedi. But they've got a whole cruiser That's cool. I think that might have been Moff Gideon's, the ship that they... Was that not the one that they... Oh, you're right, because they kind of stormed that at the end. So it could be his ship. Yeah, I think they had stolen one. Was it not the one on the water planet where they were looking for the guns? Or did that ship crash or something?
0: Oh, with the guy, the man in black black. from Lost who bites the pill, you know? I just was talking about how much I love canon and consume <laughs> it all and I cannot remember. Well, it's
1: one of those. They might have both yeah. of those ships, which is even cooler that the Mandalorians have this fleet. I like that. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I
1: would I got a lot of Star Trek vibes from this opening scene. Yeah, yeah. The Enterprise encounters somebody they don't know and they're like, hail that ship and let's talk to the captain. That didn't feel like again, quote unquote my Star Wars. And then the whole like, I love you, I won't yeah, go. Yeah but I love the Mandalorians on that cruiser that like they're out there and they're their own rogue society and they've got this badass ship. And so we're reintroduced to the other Mandalorians in the Mandalorian show. That helped for 40 minutes later when we go visit them again, Uh, but that's all we got with them. Did you like that little teaser scene at the beginning?
0: I did. I also like these like little tiny jabs that I think we're both getting in here (laughs) that hopefully uh, (laughs) listeners can pick up on. I I really liked that opening scene. I really liked that Quarren ship. I thought it looked super cool. I really liked the way the Quarrens looked. I wrote that down. Like the Quarrens look amazing. Whatever they did, they looked great. And honestly, I was in with the silliness. Huh. I was here for the soap opera-y weirdness of their like, but I love you, and she turns <laughs> away. And so I was super in, maybe not super in, but I was in with the silliness. And then like the whole detective storyline that we then see go forward with Din and Bo, I am in for that kind of silly sort of good cop, bad cop, the underbelly of a city detective stuff. There's There's episodes of the Clone Wars that are similar, but it's too late in the season for this <laughs> for for the silly one-off storyline you mean? Yes. Like it's episode 6 out of 8. It's very hard to navigate this from a fan and content creator perspective because I do not necessarily understand why the episode started this way. I like I said, I had fun with the beginning, with the opening, but like reintroducing us to those Mandalorians, I don't really I don't really understand why it opened this way unless when we first meet that Quarren captain, one of the other Quarrens on the bridge says, I discovered the, a way to avoid the trade route or something like that. So unless that series of events plays into something bigger here, I don't, maybe. Well, they are
1: setting up that they are the guns for hire. And then Bo comes in and she's like, I'm going to lead you again. And she's going to have to convince them to not be mercenaries anymore in joining the other Mandalorians, the other, other Mandalorians. So (laughs) there's still gonna be some clashing there, but they set up what those people now currently stand for. Axe Wove was like, I rather like being a mercenary. You know, he's drinking a beer in a field. So they're living a totally different life than Bo and Din at the moment. And we got, again, reintroduced to that if you weren't already on the page. I think that's all that was, rather than like just a random scene of random
0: plot. We know that they're mercenaries now, okay? Done, all right. So we catch back up with Din and Bo and Grogu as they're headed for Plazier 15 because I guess she knows that that's where the other Mandalorians are. Going into this whole series of events, they want to talk to the Mandalorians, but their ship gets autopiloted. Again, there's an obvious indication of what the plan is, and then Din says what's happening, and then the plan gets said out loud again which I really irritated me. What did you think of this whole thing and seeing the city? I mean, it, it also looked awesome. And then the introduction to Jack Black and Lizzo's characters. Yeah, it was a rich world. I think that
1: George Lucas would be happy to see that world and the way they yes. designed that. It looked very much like his prequel era design. You know, whether you like the plot or not, the world was there. This is another thing that I've been trying to like tune into is that if you don't like the dialogue, you know, if you don't like the plot, Tune into the set design, the costume design, the music, like the things that you would more likely overlook. So the world was pretty cool. I thought all the droids, this is the first time that I felt battle droids were like pretty badass. In episode one, like they look great, but they're kind of like rigid, you know? They kind of look like if you just took your Hasbro action figures sort of thing. Not that that's a bad thing, but they've certainly improved the like badass nature of the animation. Everything looked great. And we got a new world. You're mentioning the, the corny dialogue. I'll fast forward for one second because at one point, when they're ending that whole trip through Plazier and they're going to go see the Mandalorians, Din's like, What's your plan, Bo? She's like, I'll figure it out when I get there. And I was like, This is another one of these stupid meta moments of like, we'll just go with it. It will all <laughs> tie in together later. We'll figure it out <laughs> yeah. when I get there. Bo's supposed to lead the whole Mandalorians, you know? Yeah. Let's make a plan. I think that might be a metaphor for this. This season overall, you know, I like the world and I think that that's a positive to take out of it. We really did get a deep world, whether or not you like the buddy cop story that we sort of got here that was way different than some of the previous stylized episodes. Not a Western is sort of still this like, hey, let's go to a world and solve a problem so we can get to the next plot point, which is kind of classic Mandalorian, but that they played the good cop, bad cop thing. That was sort of new for us, I think.
0: Yeah, I thought it looked great. I thought every bit of that looked great. Bo's ship as it's coming through the atmosphere, seeing the city, the hover car or the Elon Musk hyperloop was cool. (laughs) The monorail. Yeah, monorail. Great. Now I have to put that (laughs) gif in. I mean, it all looked amazing. Like you said, I think George Lucas would also be proud of the dialogue. (laughs) So... What did you think of seeing Jack Black and Lizzo? Did you know that they were in it going into the episode? I did not know. And as soon as they opened those doors and
1: he said like, hello, I laughed because yeah. I was like, whatever is happening is about to be wild. And we, what, who knows what's coming next? And I yeah. think like subconsciously I heard his voice. I didn't recognize him, but I was like, this is funny. And then, oh my gosh, Jack freaking Black. Just one of those cameos where you're like, I know too much of this actor. And it will be very hard to displace the myriad of things I've already seen this guy do with this character in Star Wars. But he was a wacky, he kind of worked though. I sort of bought into it more as time went on as this eccentric leader guy. I don't really recognize Lizzo. That's not so much my world. But Robin was like, that's Lizzo. Okay. And then they bring in Christopher Lloyd. And it's like three cameos, three cameos against... You know, a rabid fan base, like good luck. I mean, the tweeting is going to be huge. You know, if there's any conspiracy of like, how do we get more buzz? We'll put Jack Black, Lizzo and Christopher Lloyd in one episode. That's brilliant marketing, but you're putting a lot on the fan base to accept all that at once. Yeah, Bold, bold decision.
0: Was he distracting for you or what? You know, he wasn't. And I was talking with Scotty Holiday, Star Wars. Go check out their YouTube channel as well. I was talking to them about this afterwards. Like you're saying, as soon as the doors open and we have this really weird, like, Willy Wonka moment of... Robin said the collector from Ragnarok. Ah, yes, yes. And so it all seemed very, like, extravagant and opulent. Hey, maybe the, ah, maybe the synopsis the was, is accurate. But the cameos didn't take me out of it as much as the dialogue took me out of it and i'm sorry to say that but it's just like when obvious stuff is happening and the characters are asking what's going on to the about the stuff that's happening to them it drives me nuts it just irks me because i am not washing the dishes while i am watching this show some of the conversations that were had took me out of it and i put my head in my hands but seeing Jack Black and Lizzo and Christopher Lloyd did not do that. I don't really, I, I don't really know why, as far as that goes. I'm maybe just a little bit more of accepting of different characters played by different people showing up. I don't really know, so that doesn't really affect me all that much. Cameos will happen. Yeah, that's part of the marketing for sure. When it does happen,
1: don't let that be not your Star Wars. That like a celebrity can't be in Star Wars. You know, right? It's a great honor for the celebrity. They're probably really stoked to be there. Maybe not all of the cameos are stoked to be there, but right. I would assume the most most people are really, wow, I'm in Star Wars, that that probably means something to Jack Black. Come on, I love Jack Black. So oh, yeah. maybe that makes it a little bit easier for me and Christopher Lloyd, and I guess I like Lizzo's music too.
0: Yeah, appreciate different perspectives and appreciate it from their perspective. Almost every like big star cameo in Star Wars that we've gotten has been because the person's a huge fan. Like Simon Pegg is Unkar Plutt. This one is a little more like obvious And it is kind of bizarre to have three in one after not having any the whole season. Mm. So that's a little (laughs) din-jarring, but it didn't really, I wasn't really taken out of this story. You know, maybe another reason for that is because I wasn't personally, myself, wasn't fully invested in this episode anyway. I wasn't really connecting with it anyway. So seeing, like, Jack Black and Lizzo show up, I was kind of more like, oh, well, this is fun. Yeah. Maybe subconsciously I did break out my little deck of pass cards and apply them. I like that. When Captain Bombardier and the Duchess, Jack Black and Lizzo respectively, take Din and Bo off to, quote unquote, see the sights and explain to them their situation, this began sort of the talk and the sentiment that is discussed throughout the rest of the episode, which is that they are now a democracy. According to their charter, they're not allowed to have armies, but they let the Mandalorians in because they're allowed to have guns. Did you get a very strange democracy with no guns? This is bad. Like, it's bad that we don't have, like a very strange take on not being allowed to have a military or guns. It seemed like a very anti-no-gun stance to me. Hmm. I'm not sure what the overtones were there, but they
1: were definitely harping back to this whole idea of like the political system in the galaxy, even with like the stuff Christopher Lloyd says, you know, and their society is like sort of a utopia in a way that people don't work and they pursue recreation and the arts and their passions. There might have been something to that. I don't try to read into that too much, but they made a big point of that. And he's like, see what I'm saying? Because you're not exactly a military guy, but you do have a gun and guns are part of your religion. And I don't know, there was a weird dynamic there for sure when it's like, that's maybe your MacGuffin type of thing. That like, this just has to happen for the story to go on.
0: Yeah, which I guess is another problem I have. Like, it doesn't have to happen that way just to create this story. You don't have to create this peaceful utopia and then put it in jeopardy just to allow the people with guns to come in. Also. There's a bunch of people sitting right outside your gate who's of the same religion, which guns is a part of. They flew by the reasoning why those Mandalorians weren't allowed. But these two are. So much of that didn't make sense. And then it really irked me that they developed this utopian society just to put them in jeopardy of not having guns. And then Christopher Lloyd's character also irked me. He loves democracy, but he's the bad guy the no-one-wants-to-work boomer or older generation. It's in his control to turn these machines into weapons. It's a very no-one-wants-to-work-these-days argument. This is where I'm going to get heated. Like you said, we're trying to find some positive stuff, but there is some stuff we didn't like. It's okay to say this was all so weird to me. These takes on democracy, guns, and labor were so, so odd especially in like two days times in our real world. All this stuff really, really irked me. I had a very negative reaction to this and it set up like the second half of the episode.
1: Yeah, it also seems like they've put a lot on the table for this particular plot to solve. Like they've got the the mystery in with the droids that they've got to solve and they've got these political gun overtones and all we need to do is get to the Mandalorians so we can move the rest of the season forward this whole Plazier thing is like, is it part of a grander scheme of politics that we're going to talk about with the New Republic? Or is it just kind of a one-off thing? Like, it sort of felt kind of like a Bad Batch, uh, average Bad Batch episode where they're just helping out this one society to get to the next thing. You know, one positive thing I did think about them breaking some bread with these Plazier folk. You know, Bo and Din have been sent out to find the other Mandalorians and try to bring them together. And one thing that you had mentioned you wanted out of season three was like, I want Din to be traveling around the galaxy and finding Mandalorians and teaching them that there is another way. They meet up with Commander Funny Guy, Jack Black. (laughs) Captain Bombadier. They meet up with Captain Bombadier, (laughs) Jack Black. And at the end of the episode, they're like, we're indebted to you, you know? Or they've made a bargain there that they're like, we'll stand up for Mandalore in the New Republic. And now, you know, Mandalore, the planet, has an ally, and they are allies with Bo and Din, You know, in the past couple episodes, Bo and the Armorer have come together, the Mandalorians and Navarro, the Mandalorians and Greef Karga, even like Din's relationship with Captain Tiva, the New Republic through that. Din and Bo are spreading the web out and bringing everybody in. So they're kind of doing what you said you wanted in the season to a degree, maybe not quite as smooth, but like they are amassing all of these allies so that Mandalore can be greater. So, I did kind of like that at the end of the episode that they, you know, they knighted Grogu, and we can all now refer to him as Sir Grogu. And I think that will endear fans even further with his character. And what do you know? Mandalore the planet now has an ally with Plazier. Grief Carga says, You don't have a planet. And they're like, Screw that. We're taking our planet back. We have allies. We've got Navarro. We've got Plazir. Like, and this is a whole new world now inside of the Mandalorian, which is a cool thing. And they're fleshing that out. Like, Plazir isn't Tatooine, but guess what? We could go back there 50,000 more times in the future of the Mandoverse, and maybe we'll come to love it, and maybe we'll come to even be tired of how much we go back there like Tatooine. So maybe that's a better way to look at it. So I think that's a positive through this. I don't know if you're seeing any of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love all of that. I love Bo and Din bringing people together. I don't necessarily always appreciate how it's done. I don't, certainly don't appreciate how it was done in this episode, like I've already said, for the reasons I've already said. And it's a little bit too late to be doing stuff like this in the season for me. I do really like in that moment when Captain Bombadier is like, we'll stand up for you in the Senate, we'll stand up for Mandalore. That's all cool, having someone at your back. That's a cool little storytelling element that was good, (laughs) you know, in this episode. I just didn't necessarily like the events that he was leveraging that against. Sure. Ooh, boy. I can keep
1: riffing. Christopher Lloyd's character tells Din, go see the Ugnaughts. They go talk to the Ugnaughts. The buddy cop thing starts with Bo and Din. Din's like, hey, you can't talk to the Ugnaughts like that. There's a certain way they speak, you know, and I get it. And it's like, yeah. He's been around the block and everybody loved Queel, I assume. So like that was an interesting callback to him and Din invoking the I have spoken to get through into to Bo that like, listen, you got to respect their culture. There's a way you communicate. Open your mind again, like another beautiful thing like, hey, all you jerks watching this show, open your mind and interact with it in the way that you are not intuitively thinking that you need to interact with it. Bo wanted to say you guys are messing up all these droids. You're insulting them. Stop insulting them. That's not helping your cause. And what do you know? Din the guy that we're like, this guy gets himself in all sorts of trouble. You're calling him out for being an idiot. And here he is, like, he's got the most mature take on how to get through the next level here. He kind of undoes that when they get to the bar and he's shoving a stick into the droid's face, the electro prod, which is kind of the opposite of the statement I'm making now, which is, again, part of the problems with the writing. But I thought that was another nice moment of character development that Din is like, hey, how can we bring people together? We have to change the method that we're using. So I love that scene. And I want to see more Ugnots because they just like the Anzelans or whatever, they're kind of like a new creature they've brought in that we're now familiar with. And they've kept yeah. the weird lip sync, which I think is also another bold decision that they've made it look kind of quirky. We've made fun of that. But That's just the way the character looks. And like, that's kind of uh, another endearing thing, I think.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad that you saw it that way, because I read that whole interaction completely differently. First of all, Din is, in my opinion, Din is an idiot. And part of it is because he did not think to have that conversation before they went down there to talk to the Ugnats, because it's said three times that they're going down to talk to the Ugnats Three times. The fact that, like, that didn't come up on how to play it when they got down there. And then Bo tries to speak to them nicely. She says, I'm Bo-Katan, Krizz, which she's royalty. And she, you know, tries to speak to them nicely. None of them react until Din speaks. Maybe it was coming off of the, the weirdness that I got from, like, the no guns reading that I was getting from the more political conversations. But that felt like an incredibly blatant sexist thing. And then when they're on the tram where you said, like, he's trying to open Bo's mind, I do like your reading of it better because I was like, okay, well, he just, like, took over and now is, like, mansplaining to her how to do it right. And then he's the first one when they sit down with the Ugnots to say the droids are malfunctioning. He's the first one to use the term that he later says is offensive to them. So it's just a little bizarre. Again, maybe I was frustrated at the way the storytelling was already being done. So when I got this, I was already ready to read it in more of a negative way. Maybe I'll go back and watch it again and try to put your goggles on to see that. But it just really, it was another thing that just really rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe some more sensitivity about scenes like that needs to be taken into consideration. Maybe a little bit more empathy for how some people will read that scene from the writer's room, I think. And then I'm Din Djarin friend of Ugnat Queel. You're in the Outer Rim. You think all Ugnats know each other? And I guess they do, because it works, but that's a little strange. <laughs> no? It is. It is, but we love Queel. We love
1: Queel. If we didn't like Queel, I think that might have been annoying, but like, Queel's gone, too, so it's even more powerful. Yeah, that's my rant about the Ugnat scene. This Bo versus Din as like who's in control and like who's being respectful and, you know, or being discriminated against, I think they're trying to set up the whole balance of leadership between the two. Even when Bo lights up the Darksaber, I know I'm getting way ahead to the end of the episode, but hopefully we can get to the the meat and potatoes here in a second. When she ignites the Darksaber at the end, it's not a hero scene with just the shot on Bo. It's Bo and Din side by side. And I think that there is certainly some intentionality behind that as well. They're like, hey, the ruler needs to have the Darksaber. But like, she didn't really beat Din up to earn it. You know, she helped Din. She said, we don't want to kill Mandalorians. We want to work together. She earned it in a way, but not necessarily through the typical means. And they're standing together there. So I think that's what they're showing through this episode, this buddy cop thing. They have different approaches, but they're on the same team and they're learning from each other. And we can go forward. Dude, come on. She says, you know, ape strong together. She does yeah. the whole thing. Like, this is the <laughs> point, okay? Yeah. So, the dialogue, I know uh, this episode, I'm with you that this was not easy. <laughs> I, I mean, I love the I had you at battle droids. I, I need that on a t-shirt. Yes,
0: stuff like that was,
1: stuff like that was real good. But, yeah. but what they're setting up between their leadership, the theme there, I think, is working. Maybe not yeah. through the actual execution, but the theme is there. So, that's, that's what I'm choosing to grade it on. And I like that. I love that scene at the end that they're standing side by side because you had said, I want Bo to lead. And I said, I want Din to lead. Guess what? I think
0: they're both leading a little bit. Well, that raises a good point, Royce. Do you want Din to lead after the events of this episode? Don't take into account the end shot where they're standing together. Do
1: you want him to lead still? He's not really shown that he wants to be the leader. That's not what they're setting up necessarily. He's a good number two. Your facial expressions are making it hard for me to keep my thoughts square here. They need each other, dude. It's powerful light, powerful dark. There's a balance there. They have different strengths. The fact that he can be humble enough to give up the saber sort of thing. They show Bo beating the crap out of Axe Woves. You know, maybe Din wouldn't have held his own there. When he had to fight against Paz, he didn't really do a great job He's not the leader here Obviously Bo is the leader But he's in the scene there And I'm not going to Write that scene off It's a TV show Yeah So you have to consider The framing of that shot As part of the storytelling Sure I don't know I don't know where I'm going With this But I like I like it Because I want to root for Din You wanted to root for Bo But it's kind of both of them At the moment for me
0: I do like that I was thinking more like He's kind of bad at stuff, and he's a little dumb sometimes. Again, like kicking the droid. There's other ways, and I get like there's trauma there, right? Like I don't know how I would deal with the trauma and situation, blah, blah, blah. I know he has a different relationship with droids because of what happened to him as a child, so I get it. But also, what did you think was going to happen when you kicked the droid? And then it goes running out into a crowd of people. It's a populated place. Those are not the actions of a leader, which then Bo tells him, because when they're going into a situation together that they both need information on, Bo briefs Din when they're going to the bar, like he didn't do with the Ugnaughts. She's like, kicking droids is not helping. You did it your way. Now let's do it my way. And then he completely disrespects her again in the bar. I like Din, so I'm being a little biased to like, I just like him. I like Din. Maybe we'll get to this, but like the idea of this being a found family show with Din and Grogu and the Mandalorian, what does that mean? Well, it could mean Din or it could mean Grogu. And now Grogu is like Din's task was to return Grogu to his people. But now Din is Grogu's people. I love Din as the daddy. The competing to rule the Mandalorians, he's not acting like a leader. But again, it comes back to like what? Is the story trying to tell us? He's an example, though, that like we
1: can't accept the different cultures. Like he's hanging out with Bo now. You know, she's got her helmet off and he's already accepted the other tribe. So Bo is walking both ways. Din is walking a certain way, but he's getting along with Bo. So he's not the leader, but he's a conduit of like, here's what we could be that I can set an example for other Mandalorians, even though I'm not the leader. This is the thing, dude. There's a great uh, Derek Sivers TED talk about. This dude dancing at a festival, he's the only person dancing, only one in the crowd having a good time. And people are like, oh, what a maverick. That's, that guy's so brave. But it's actually the first person to join the lone dancer on the dance floor. And now two people is a crowd, you know, two's company. And then all of a sudden, everybody else wants to join in. And maybe that's sort of like Din's role within this is that it, it can't just be one person leading. You need someone to follow that leader and then everybody else will follow along. Bo
0: couldn't do it alone, Din couldn't do it alone, but together, Ape, strong. <laughs> oh, man, I completely understand what you're saying. I think we could go back and forth on this all day because there's another weird MacGuffin here. The one with the dark saber. everyone will follow. I really enjoy the way you're describing this, like if that's the way it were going. But it's now going like, well, does she need Din to follow her to be the leader or does she just need the Darksaber? Axe says, you know, according to our beliefs, the ruler of Mandalore needs the Darksaber. I read that as like, we'll follow whoever has the Darksaber, but he's also not following Din. It's confusing. The plot is contradictory sometimes as far as I'm interpreting it. So I think we called this, and plenty of other people did too, Bo earned the Darksaber that day in the mines of Mandalore. The weird robot thing beat Din, and then Bo beat the weird robot thing. We talked a little bit about patting ourselves on the back for some stuff that we called happening in the finale of The Bad Batch. What did you think about this whole thing with Din giving the Darksaber back to Bo? Well, I think you were on track that, like, I think maybe Bo won the Darksaber there. And I was like, I don't
1: know about that. That's weird. And and I was confused about it. I didn't even really, like, notice who, who picked it up at the end of the day. I just think it's a little odd that, like, they showed that in the previous Leon. They played specific scenes to show you like why you might or might not earn the dark saber. I wish there was one more scene. If I can do any rewrite in this episode or somewhere else earlier in the season, it'd be nice if there was one more scene of Bo and Din talking about the saber where he was like, I don't need this. You can have it. They had some sort of back and forth about like the rights to the saber, but they had it in front of all the other Mandalorians there. So everyone could be on the same page and they could vouch for each other. Did she not earn it? Okay, I guess she earned it. It's really funny that, like, that plot point was already, like, in the show. But like you said, through clunky dialogue, they just reconfirm it for the, the crowd several episodes later. It's a little odd. I, several, oh,
0: dear, oh, dear, this episode. Several episodes later. Several episodes later, with two episodes to go. Here's the thing, that We are talking about, like, what's the weight of the saber? What does
1: it mean? Who's in charge? It's all resolved now. Bo has it. That tribe who believes in the dark saber knows bo has it and they're all on the same page and we can move forward this is just like the sid thing in bad batch like when are they going to cut the ties with sid when are we going to cut ties with who owns the dark saber and who can lead it's bo okay great let's move forward into the next two episodes
0: shall we to bring back your catchphrase from several episodes ago let's go <laughs> already why Why did this not happen sooner? It's been two years since this show has been on TV, and now there are only two episodes left. So this is just leaving me feeling a little bit concerned about the finale. I just don't know, man. I'm glad that this happened in front of all the Mandalorians. She could have just as easily challenged Axe with the Darksaber for the Darksaber if Din had given it to her earlier and she was just trying to show that she's the ruler. People challenge each other to the Darksaber all the time. That might be a little bit of canon bias working its way into my like expectations, but it felt a little too late in the season for any of this episode to me. I agree with you. It's an odd pacing. She's got it back now, and will move
1: forward. You didn't like this track on the album. The next track is going to be a banger. There's two left. The timing per episode has been up and down, long, short, long, short. That's just the way they do it. We might get two hour plus episodes for this end of the season. And maybe it'll be a huge culmination season finale. Maybe not. Do you want it to be a big explosive landing for the season finale? Or are you okay with it being open-ended of like, let's see where we go next. And it's not the boss battle with Moff Gideon and
0: Thrawn, you know, and, and everything tying together. I think I would be okay with it just kind of fading out and fading into something new. But they set up a lot. They set up some stakes. Again, it's been two years since we've seen this show. So I was expecting maybe I hate to use the word expecting, but I was expecting a little bit more by the end of the season, a little bit more energy rolling into a little bit more energy and momentum rolling into the last two episodes like you would with any like limited episode series, more or less. Maybe I need to go into next week and the week after thinking like, well, under different circumstances, I'd be okay with it kind of phasing to black and then phasing out of black next season or in Ahsoka or whatever. It feels like a mark was missed this season. What do you think? Are you okay with it just like fading away and then we come back to it at some point? What if it's another two years? You know,
1: I don't mind the wait as long as it's it's decent. It seems like this season might have been a little too ambitious with some of the things they wanted to pull off. And then aside from just considering The Mandalorian, trying to tie it into the other shows, uh, maybe is making it more difficult just to make a great Mandalorian show, right? You know, if they had simplified, it might have been smoother, but maybe less connected to what they're going to set up. I'm looking forward to the future that it will find an even keel and pay off a little bit more down the road we can bring together these other tribes. I would assume that's the next episode that if Bo's leading, we can live on Mandalore. Why are we living on Plazir? Why are you being mercenaries for this other people? We can all be our own people and also go back to Mandalore. I'm still excited by that. If the finale is like bringing the Mandalorians back to Mandalore, that's super cool. It doesn't have to end in a battle. It can just end in them planting a you know Mythosaur flag back on Mandalore. That would be awesome. And then it ends... And you get the theme music, it's going to be great, right? Mm. And then you wait forever, however long it takes for them to do a new season and whatever big bads come up. Because obviously, Moff Gideon's out there. Obviously, Thrawn's out there. And they don't need to come back in this season. You know, and if you want them to come back, get over yourself. Because there's going to yeah. be another season, and there's going to be other shows, and that will come to head in the Avengers of the Mandalorian-verse. You know, the Mando-verse. Mm. So, I guess I have some expectations there. I hope that they stick it out. But I'm going to, again, continue to just give them some leeway. I do hope they can simplify a little bit for the finale that it's concise. Don't introduce any more stuff. Right. You know, yes. let's bring it 100%. in rather than continue to go wide with it. You know, talking this out, Joey, it feels like therapy. And I'm already less disappointed in this episode. So I think I've convinced myself a little bit. Dude, again, with the album analogy. Dude, Fall Out Boy just came out with a new album. I was talking with my brother about it. And we're like, how do we feel about this? And you know, there's stuff you like, there's stuff you don't like. But you got to live with it. It just came out yesterday. You know, just live with it. You'll see it with different eyes as time goes
0: on. I really enjoy your album analogy. The main difference for me here is that when you're, as far as I know, in an album, if there's eight songs on an album, they don't lead to a grand and the, the eighth song is a grand finale, which is typically what TV shows do. Maybe that's an unwarranted expectation. But when you get to episode six out of eight, like I'm starting to feel like a little bit, I need more Kylo Ren style, right? But yeah, this is what we got. And this is what we have to live with. And like I've said at the beginning of this episode, like these are my opinions. And I'm so curious what everyone else thinks. And I love that other people love aspects of these things that I don't love. If you loved this episode, genuinely, I love that people love this stuff. That's part of what Star Wars is to me. That's part of what keeps me going in Star Wars. I don't have to love it. But when I talk to like some of the folks over at Pink Milk and other great podcasts about the sequels, like I said, or even Rogue One, I didn't have I didn't appreciate all that much until I heard other people's perspectives on it. So if you love it, I love that you love it. And I want to hear what you thought. And like I'm still in. By the second time I watched this, I was wondering if they are like trying to set up maybe a more Grogu and Mando heavy season four. Mandalore is fine and repopulated and they can go be their family that maybe they were trying to set up them being before. I don't really know. What do you think about that?
1: That's interesting. I mean, season three is definitely different than one and two. I don't see a reason why season four couldn't be different than three so for sure All right, listeners let's keep this conversation going I'm a little (laughs) bit scared but we want to know what you think hopefully you're not writing off the Mandalorian I'm going to assume you're coming back for next week's episode but if you're not we'd love to hear if this was the the line in the sand that you're drawing we'd love to hear from you leave your comments here on YouTube or hit us up wherever you like the social media and make sure to subscribe for more coverage on the Mandalorian and more thank you for listening to the show today I've been
0: Royce I've been Captain Bombardier, <laughs> and we've been Krypton, Krypton to all the year fifteen. Crypton
1: to all the rod, crypton
0: to all the hmm, rod. Plaziers, what happened to Plazier fourteen? <laughs>